I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, you're listening to the London Review of Books podcast. I'm Thomas Jones. Today I'm joined by my colleague Malin Hay, an editor at the LRB, last heard interviewing B. Wilson about Paul Newman. But joining me today to talk about BookTok, the corner of the social media platform TikTok, where readers lurk, which she wrote a piece about in January. Hello, Malin. Hello, Tom. TikTok is in the news this week because the British government has announced it's going to follow the lead of the US, EU and New Zealand and ban civil servants from having the app on their work devices. Not because it's a colossal time waster, but because of security concerns. TikTok, the world's fastest growing and possibly biggest, I don't know, you know better than me, uh, fastest growing social media platform is Chinese owned and Western governments are worried that the Chinese government could use it as a backdoor to access state secrets. The US has said that it may even ban TikTok altogether unless the Beijing-based company ByteDance sells its stake in the app. The BBC is apparently encouraging its staff to delete TikTok from their work phones. Uh, It's still allowed at the LRB, however, though my colleagues obviously only ever use it for research purposes. Have you deleted the app since writing your piece, Malin? I actually have deleted the app since writing the piece, Um, but more not because of security concerns, but more because it is a colossal time suck. It's just so addictive, I think. It's basically, I think TikTok is unusually addictive. I mean, I was addicted to Facebook in the, back in the day. I've been addicted to Instagram. Nothing beats a TikTok addiction. It's so intense because it is literally, I mean, just to explain a little bit about the actual mechanics of how TikTok works, you open the app and you see a video that's not necessarily somebody that you've chosen to follow. It's just literally presenting you with something. And as soon as you get rid of that video, it's replaced by something else. There is no landing page. As soon as you get onto the app, you're looking at content. And also the content isn't necessarily related to each other. So you're being presented with lots of really different things all at once, basically. And you can kind of tell TikTok or TikTok can kind of gather from your watching habits what it is you're interested in. So when you say that you're on BookTok in the sense of you're watching a lot of BookTok videos, for instance, it actually just means that you, that TikTok knows that you like watching videos about books. So it will send you more and more videos about books. You can seek them out actively, but it's not, it's not usually the way that people find videos, I wouldn't say. From that description, it sounds as if you find things by closing stuff you don't want to watch so you just sort of keep closing it until at last something comes up that you are interested in and then you watch the whole 90 seconds and then when that finishes you're immediately presented with something else that's related to that we and famously tiktok will think if you if you don't tell it immediately and um, when I'm, i'm talking about like within the first three seconds of the video that you're not interested you can click a button that says i'm not interested in this if you don't do that within literally the first five seconds of the video, it will think that you like that thing. So there are lots of stories of TikTokers being sent videos of kind of Christian dating. I had a Christian dating 
TikTok phase because I watched one video and then it sent me loads or, you know, um, lots of people will be sent mental health TikTok videos, which are kind of interesting. So you watch them, but you're not necessarily particularly interested in it as a topic. Um, so you really have to really have to actively tell TikTok that you don't want to watch something. But you can, if you wish, seek things out. I mean, are there, I mean, can you search for, presumably if you have favourite yeah, you can search. TikTokers that you want to watch, you can search for them, but you can't. As you can't follow people the way you do on Twitter or on Instagram, you can, can follow you? people. You can. No, you can, and and but the two feeds are presented separately. Actually, in the way that the new Twitter is doing it, so that you can see either what it suggests for you or um, who you're following. And most people, I would say, don't follow enough people to really make it worthwhile to go onto that side of the feed. So most people are usually using what's called the for you page, which is where it's. TikTok is curating what you see. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned some of the kinds of videos that there are, the sort of Christian dating videos and mental health videos. But I mean, when I say when you think of TikTok, at least when I think of TikTok as a largely non-user of it, um, the other than as a front in the new Cold War, the first thing that comes to my mind is teenagers dancing or lip syncing to a 30 second snippet of a pop song. And it is still mostly that or a lot of it is that? Yeah, the thing is that what you see on TikTok is so specific to you that I think you could probably be on TikTok and never see those videos. But you're right that that is the kind of most generic type of TikTok video. And and when it became massive during the pandemic, I think it was mostly because of the viral videos of, um, sorry, viral dancing videos. But it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I think at this point, TikTok probably isn't mostly that. It's probably mostly about niche interests or hobbies um, in the same way that BookTok is about reading. There are lots of other ones. I mean, things about sewing or gardening. Interior design is a huge one. And obviously, with all of those things, you know, you're both reaching out to people who are already interested in that thing and trying to attract an audience. So trying to get people interested in, um, for instance, crystals or um, terrarium making or something that's a bit less popular in, in normal life. And and how is it possible to interact with other people making videos on TikTok? Can you have direct interactions that if you've seen a video that you like, can you respond to that with your own video? I mean, are, in the way that Twitter and Facebook, it's possible to have a fairly direct conversations with other people. Is that possible on TikTok? Yeah, I think it is. I, I would use Instagram as a better model of this. So you can message people on TikTok in the same way you can message people on, on Twitter or Instagram. Um, you can also comment on their videos and you can also stitch their videos which means that you take a little um, snippet of what they've done and you put it at the beginning of your video and then you specifically are making a video that responds to it so you can respond in kind of multiple ways in the written form or in your own videos Um, and that happens a lot and obviously the stitching you know or any type of interaction but especially stitching I think doesn't have to be positive interaction you know a lot of people will take a video and then respond to it negatively, say, oh, this is why this video gets this, this and this wrong. Um, So that's actually, in that way, I suppose, it's actually quite lively. I mean, and also bear in mind that I think a lot of the generation that uses TikTok actually don't use that many other social media. I mean, if I think about my younger sister, who's 12 years younger than me, or my cousins, who are similar age, they may not ever have another social media, like, or they may have got rid of all of their other social medias, and they're actually using TikTok to communicate with each other as well as to yeah, find things. So they're they're teenagers. Yeah, yeah, they're teenagers. Yeah. And so I suppose this question of BookTok, you know, the piece says BookTok at the top, and you it's referred to as as a thing, but it 
I mean, it isn't actually a place. You it's not as if you go to TikTok and here are all the choices you can go to book talk or dance talk or Christian dating talk. It's a, so it's a, it's a, it's a generic it's a label, a broad word. label for videos on TikTok about yeah. books come under the broad umbrella. It is. Talk. At the same time, it is a hashtag. And that's how these become a kind of genre is that um, creators will tag their videos as a book talk video and then you can search the hashtag and so you can get to a page that is presenting you with a kind of series almost like a contents page of little um previews of videos all about books um but you're right that it's not i mean it's not a separate website or a separate page on the website um it's a kind of it's a sort of a way of grouping videos together and so a tip, if, if there is such a thing as a, a typical book talk video, is it people reading bits of their favourite books or talking about why they like them or just holding them up and saying, buy this, it's great? I mean, what does a... It could be any of those things. I think quite a lot of the time... So to go back to the viral dancing thing, what TikTok users do is repeat audio. So you a kind of a sound, they say a TikTok sound becomes viral. And then every person that makes a video or a lot of people that make a video will use that specific background sound. And then will either lip sync over it or kind of somehow interact with it in their video in a way that is relevant to the subject of the video. It's actually, it's quite hard to explain, sorry. But for instance, so that actually happens a lot on BookTok. So um, I think I mentioned in the piece that there was a sound that was specifically about books that was kind of a, a, the sound of a teenager like sobbing and being like, why would you write this? Why would you write this book? And so some book talkers will use that sound and will display a specific book or even a specific page of a specific book to show how they, to show that, oh, this is a book that I felt really emotional about. You know, so there's that kind of thing. There are videos where people also just talk and there are videos that are just music or, or kind of just images of a bookshelf or something kind of more aesthetic. But that's there's something really quite hard to get your head around about that. So what? So the thing that everyone uses is the reaction. So the, you have a person presenting something, which there is then a, a pre-recorded reaction to, which they're claiming is their own. But actually, the thing that's gone viral isn't. It's not everyone responding. It's not because you might imagine that there are some books which go viral on BookTok and everyone re reacts to them differently. But what you're saying is it's more that there are reactions that go viral and everyone picks the book that they want to match to that sort of pre-processed reaction. Yeah, I think I think you've put your finger on it. Like what people like about TikTok is the way that it helps them connect to each other or at least what they think of themselves as liking about it. And part of that is saying we feel the same way about something. You know, we have had the exact same reaction. Oh, isn't it amazing that we both read this book and we both sobbed on specifically page 358. And also, given that BookTok is also a tool for disseminating books, I mean, in the sense that people are sharing what they like and hoping that other people read it, using the exact same reaction is quite a nifty tool or a nifty shorthand to say, if you enjoyed this book and you felt this way about this book, you will feel the same way about this book. And that encourages people to read it. So in fact, there isn't a value in being different. There's more of a value in being the same. So in the piece, you identify Mills and Boone as a, as a kind of forerunner of book talk. Or maybe that's not quite right. It's not Mills and Boone, the books, but Mills and Boone readers. And you talk about the way that it, not only because of romance is such a, seems to be an important genre to uh, book talkers, but also the ways that 
the interest in formulas and the way that formulas get reused and repurposed and recombined that originality is not necessarily a virtue or or if it is it's in the ways of recomb- original recombination rather than original idea yeah exactly i mean clearly this is not just something about tiktok it's it's literally the basis of genre fiction i mean the idea that what what you go to when you read a book is a, a familiar feeling or a feeling of comfort and this especially applies to romance i think just because the nature of the genre is such that like there's always going to be a happy ending always the main character is going to get their just desserts they're going to kind of somehow um overcome the difficulties end up with the hero have a happy fulfilling and sexual romantic life you know so why would you bother trying to make it totally different every time first of all it wouldn't be possible and secondly the reader is trying to find the same thing because they're reading it as a source of enjoyment not as a source of kind of intellectual stimulation or kind of philosophical inquiry or something not that those things aren't possible to find in these books like it's not that they're completely generic and i mean there is quite a wide range of types of fiction that get popular on tiktok including you know big classics but i think what tiktok has worked out through the algorithm people like mills and boone or publishers of romance fiction had worked out before that just through ordinary types of marketing that that people will just return to the same thing again and again and if you're the type of person that likes reading about doctors and nurses you'll read as many of those as are provided to you um same thing with on tiktok people who want to read a story where the protagonists begin as enemies they end as lovers um they'll they'll just read as many of those as they can like it's not particularly complicated what are some of the more popular formulas i know the you know the word trope <laughs> gets used we probably can't say incorrectly anymore, but once upon a time it meant something different. But anyway, what are the the tropes that are that are popular? The tropes, the tropes, the most the most popular trope by far. The most popular trope is enemies to lovers. So the protagonists start out hating each other. They have a really tense um, interactions, and they eventually the tension becomes a sexual tension, and then they realise that they actually love each other. Um, it's much to do about nothing. Oh, exactly, exactly. Well, so, this yeah. is the thing because actually, book talkers do apply the tropes, backdate the tropes onto um, works existing works of fiction. So, um, I mean, okay. So, what are the tropes? So, for instance, there's a kind of there's a trope, grumpy sunshine, where the heroine is um the heroine is a kind of sunny very emotionally open um naive sometimes usually woman and the grumpy person is the hero who has no emotions or who is kind of closed off and then there's reverse grumpy sunshine where it's the man who's emotionally open and the woman has to kind of learn to express herself there's fake dating where um you know which obviously in the mills and boone days or in the kind of 1940s Mills and Boone days was the marriage of convenience plot. So for, for trumped up reasons, the protagonists have to pretend to go out with each other until eventually they realise that they really do fancy each other. And there's also... Oh, so within the fake dating scenario and sometimes within the enemies to lovers scenario, there will be subtropes. So for instance, the sharing a bed trope where for, again, reasons that are not important, um, the protagonist will have to share a hotel room and, oh no, there's only one bed. What are we going to do? Okay, so they have to share the bed overnight, which obviously ramps up the sexual tension. Um, and the, the readers love this stuff. I mean, they really, 
they really have preferences. Some people have preferences for second chance books where the the protagonists were originally a couple, have broken up before the start of the book and then the book brings them back together for whatever reason and then they have to work through their issues. Or ones where they were originally friends, that's another that's another one which actually excites a lot of debates because some people hate them and some people really like them. But I mean this this question of these recurring tropes and so on. I mean it's you know, I mean, it's like Russian formalism and, you know, Vladimir Prop's morphology of the folktale. I mean, there is this, this I mean, there, <laughs> there, is a, there is a fairly highbrow tradition that you could put it into. Is Vladimir Prop big on BookTok? Maybe he should be. You know, this is the kind of thing that sometimes will randomly take off on BookTok. I mean, anything that seems to seems to validate the, any, any kind of highbrow, let's say, in inverted commas, material that seems to validate the BookTok whole experience um, is very popular or will suddenly get very popular. So I, I could see a world where where Vladimir Prop uh, kind of goes viral on TikTok. And, I mean, another thing about Mills and Boone, I think that they were, if you were a, a Mills and Boone writer, you'd be sent the plot you had to write. And I think there was even a list of, a vocabulary list that words that you had to use and words you weren't allowed to use. I mean, it's very quite strict parameters. Yeah, because you say people want what they want. And the black, which is as untrue of all genres that you if you read a murder mystery in which no one gets murdered and there's no mystery, it's kind of, you're going to think, what's this? Right. You quote in the piece that um, a video by someone calling herself Rat Parade and the text, you are on the Colleen Hoover side of book talk, I am on the Dostoevsky and Kafka side, we are not the same. So there is there is the Dostoevsky and Kafka side of book talk as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I ever came across it beyond that Rat Parade video. Poor Rat Parade was so badly piled on by stitchers like other people responding but I think they may have deleted their account actually because I couldn't find the, the original video only the stitch later but I guess yeah I guess there is this this question that is this actually worthwhile and there are clearly people on on BookTok who are interested in literature in a more traditional way um, or in a more kind of let's say studenty way or something like that who object to the fact that there's a slightly there's not so much interest in specifically in quality I mean most, I would say that most book talkers will have specific opinions about the quality of various viral book talk books. So not everything is going to be popular with everyone. But to a large extent, a large number of things will be popular with a large number of people, if that makes sense. Whereas if you're really going to set yourself up against that, then you're going to actively say, no, there is quality in literature, there is a difference in quality. And I'm going to actively choose to read Kafka instead of Colleen Hoover. Um, Colleen Hoover, by the way, being the kind of most viral of the viral authors. Um, she's sort of managed to make sort of a 20 million sales off off TikTok alone. Um, so I think, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think, um, I think they do exist, these little niches, but they really are niches. And Judging by the response to that specific video, I would say that the vast majority of people who use TikTok to find books are more interested in feelings than kind of literary style, for instance. And that, I mean, Colleen Hoover, that is an amazing statistic. That is a, if you look at bestseller lists, it's Colleen Hoover and Prince Harry. Yeah, both of whom were massive on TikTok. And who is Colleen Hoover? She wrote... She was self-published fan fiction and then... Yeah, she was a self... I don't know about fan fiction, but she was a self-published author who wrote her first books in the early 2010s. I mean, she's been writing for a long time. Um, and somebody discovered one of her most famous, now most famous books, It Ends With Us. I think it was in 2016. I think it sold decently well in the romance kind of sections of bookshops, but it wasn't 
by that point, she was being published by an actual publisher. But it was rediscovered on TikTok in about 2019 or 2020 and now has sold like tens of millions of copies. And, and The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which was a massive success in 1990 or 1991, whenever it was. And that has also had a new life on TikTok. Definitely. I mean, The Secret History is an interesting one because I would say that it's never, it's never been unpopular, has it? I mean, I... No. Like even before TikTok, when I first went to university, I remember that there were a lot of people who were really into the secret history. And amazingly, it still has the same cover. I mean, it still looks the same as it did when it, you know, 30 years ago. But that is actually a very interesting example of where clearly when it was first popular, it was popular because people liked it. It has a kind of dark comic story. It's a sort of interesting book about academia. But now people like it because it specifically engages with certain things that that TikTok really likes. So it's thought of as a sort of dark academia book. Dark academia is a kind of aesthetic um, rather than a sort of genre. So it has to do with also fashion and interior design and makeup and all of this stuff. It can all kind of have a dark academia feel to it, maybe you could say. Um, And so Donna Tartt, The Secret History, seems to sort of fit into that quite nicely because it's about a sort of bunch of evil students. So it's sort of sort of by chance or sort of lucky that it's ended up like that. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it would have been popular anyway, but it's but it's specifically, I think, is popular because it is doing something which TikTok recognises. Yeah. I mean, earlier you mentioned the generation question. And Joe Moran, a professor of English at Liverpool John Moores University, wrote recently in the LRB about his Generation Z students. And the piece was sort of a consideration of a couple of books, including one called Gen Z Explained. And one of Moran's observations was that Gen Z's attitudes are part of a long-term trend towards valuing or overvaluing emotional candor and empathetic connection. One symptom of this trend is the rise of the term relatable, a word he says that he's been trying to get students to stop writing in their essays for at least a decade. Do book talkers care about relatability? Is that a... Absolutely. Yeah, maybe above all else. In the set first, in two senses, maybe I would pick out that they're interested in relatability. One is in an emotional sense, like you've mentioned. So they really valorise books that are making them feel something authentic, books that have made them cry. I would say less so books that have made them laugh. I'm not quite sure why, but um, yeah, so so authentic expression of feeling. And it's totally unarguable with, you know, if you say this book made me cry, Nobody can then come at you and say, that's a bad book. You can say, no, it's good because it made me cry. So that's one. And the second way in which I think relatability comes into play is when it comes to things like the representation of different identities in books. So a lot of um, fiction that has become popular on TikTok, especially things that have been rediscovered that were published earlier, are things like gay romances or um, books about people of colour um, narratives about immigrants in the US, for instance, or um, generally marginalised narratives, I would say. Um, And that, I think, has to do with the relatability thing too, because a lot of TikTokers of colour will mention that they felt especially seen by a book because it's about somebody whose identity sort of aligns with theirs. Um, So definitely, I think there's and this is just kind of general TikTok stuff. I don't think this is specific to book talk, but I think there's an interest in, there's a desire to elevate or there's a desire to amplify sort of voices that are representing marginalised experiences. So definitely the word relatable is is always, if it's even if it's not being used openly, it's always behind what's 
going on on BookTok. I mean, that question of crying, it reminds me of sort of the opposite of Jen's head, that David Sylvester, the art critic who uh, wrote in his memoirs, the other published some of which, um, which I've just dug up out of the archive, and talking about going to the cinema when he was very little with his mother. And the film called Reunion, and at the end of the film, mother and son reunited. I cried, David Sylvester wrote. And then his mother was greatly touched by this and made appropriate noises. It says, from that day on, any reunion on any screen has unleashed floods of tears, and so have all other scenes on comparably kitschy themes. So he says he, he cried very, very easily watching anything on film or TV. It says, I am manifestly one of a host in whom tears are a cheap commodity, he wrote. It always surprises me, therefore, when intelligent people talk with self-satisfaction about having been moved to tears by some work of art, for tears are a low-level response to the arts. The authentic responses are to feel pierced or set alight or elevated or torn apart. What would Book Talk make of, make of David Sylvester's response to tears? Oh, that's interesting, because I feel as though it was almost about to go in the... In the book talk friendly direction, you know, he's admitting that he was being touched by something so much that he cried. And then he kind of goes off in the other direction and says, but actually that wasn't, that wasn't good. You know, that wasn't the, the best possible response to something or that, that actually showed that it was bad. Yeah, you don't cry in front of Francis Bacon. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think, I do think that there may be a, a sense in which if all reaction to literature is reduced to just an emotional reaction it's true that like he mentions you might actually miss out on some of the other qualities that make literature exciting or good perhaps tiktok doesn't actually take into account the range of responses that you could have to something it really is basically either throwing the book across the room in anger or sobbing yeah and especially laughter i mean that's really interesting that there isn't that because you'd think you know the sort of 90 seconds short videos you'd think that making people laugh would be up there. The creators are making people laugh. They are making funny videos. Like, the videos are funny. You know, quite often I'm watching TikTok videos. I'm really laughing. But I think it's just that thing of, like, it's actually quite hard to... It's actually quite hard to um, explain why you found something else funny. In general, I think it's hard to do that. So looking at the bits of um, of BookTok books that you laughed at... I mean, there may be videos like that, but I just think that um, explaining that you found something funny probably wouldn't actually encourage somebody else to read it because what people find funny is so idiosyncratic. Like, just because some randomer on the internet laughed at something, it doesn't mean that I'm going to. But if they cried at it, there's a good chance that I might as well. Well, so the thing about laugh, I mean, you sort of imagine that maybe someone just reading reading aloud something that they found. I mean, is there much reading aloud of favourite passages? That would seem, was that a bit, a bit obvious? That's just so... Shows how old I am. That if I, that's what I do. If I made a TikTok video, I'll just read it. It happens a bit. It does happen a bit. Um, actually, I would say that more often you see the passage, so they'll they'll show it on screen and you read it yourself. For some reason, I think it may be that TikTokers are actually not very fond of the sound of their own voices. They don't like them. I think they're embarrassed by them. Maybe so. Quite often, they use this robotic voice, which is the kind of automatic reader voice of TikTok. But you probably wouldn't do that if you're reading out, if you're using it to read out an actual passage of text, just because like it would come across as really wooden. So I would say they sometimes they do. Sometimes they do read things out loud, but more often they're showing you it. I mean, I wonder how much that. I mean, the explosion of TikTok during the pandemic generally that if people teenagers especially sort of trapped in trapped at home with their parents and families more generally that I guess if you're and you're in your room with your phone and your headphones on you're not gonna actually want to make any noise for fear of being overheard so is that could that yeah. be one reason they're using the other 
the sort of sounds from outside and I suppose the lip syncing and the dancing that way you can sing along to and dance to a song without any worry that your your mum's going to overhear it oh yeah oh yeah yeah um yeah I think that's probably true I mean I really have no idea whether that I mean for for how many of the tiktokers that's true but I think um what tiktok does which is really interesting is it's constantly so much of the content on tiktok is actually about stuff that's not tiktok you know it's not just a self it's not a, it's not a particularly inward looking app in the way that actually I think Twitter sort of is an inward looking app. A lot of Twitter content is about Twitter arguments, Twitter beef, like things that other people have said on Twitter. A little bit TikTok is like that too, but also because it's so heavily focused on things like hobbies or things like skincare or these aspirational sort of lifestyle types of um, videos, it's actually encouraging you to go outside the app while at the same time, mechanically and very forcibly trying to make you stay on the app. So I'm actually unclear about how much book talkers actually read. And some of them admit that they barely read at all. Like they own a lot of books. They say, oh, here are all my books that I haven't read. Um, I don't have time. I'm living in a kind of capitalist hellscape that basically wants me to buy things via TikTok. But what am I supposed to do in that situation? I just have to submit to it sort of. And I think there is a kind of nihilism to that. So there's a sort of weird paradox on TikTok, I think, maybe more than on other apps, where it's sort of encouraging healthy habits like reading, but at the same time, its very existence is stopping you from actually developing those habits. Yeah, when I was a child, there was a TV programme called Why Don't You, which was Why Don't You Turn Off the TV and Go and Do Something Less Boring Instead, was the way <laughs> right, the, t- the, the theme song went, but then you'd watch the TV programme. It was supposedly encouraging you to stop watching TV. And in fact, if you go on TikTok for a certain amount of time, it will eventually come up with a screen that says, you've been watching TikTok for a few hours. Maybe you should go and do something else. (laughs) (laughs) Which is sort of, you wonder what the marketing, what the kind of, what's the game being played on you by TikTok there? Is it just making you think, oh, TikTok cares. TikTok cares about me, so I'll stay on it for longer. (laughs) Or is it just making you go away and then come back later? I'm not sure. Yeah, well, it's like, well, Netflix does that, doesn't it? After what well, it used to, after you'd watched four episodes of something, it's, it would say, "Are you still watching?" Yeah. You talk, mentioned um, Twitter beefs earlier. Are there factional beefs within BookTok other than the Dostoevsky versus Hoover? I mean, is there a is there a BookTok equivalent of the feud between Nicki Minaj and Cardi B? Um, I think that BookTok authors are probably not big enough players to do that, and in fact, maybe. It's more than that, that they are also trying to cultivate as many people as possible. So they really are actually quite unconfrontational, the, the authors. Some of them have TikTok accounts, some of them don't. Um, but usually they're using them in a very genial way. So Colleen Hoover, for instance, does have a TikTok. She doesn't post on it very often. She does comment on other people's videos. But most of her videos are are kind of videos of her, of her mother and like her family and stuff. Um, so when it comes to the actual authors, I'm not sure if that's true. The fans will absolutely get in the ring for their favourite authors. Um, I mean, so Colleen Hoover is an example of somebody who's quite divisive. Some TikTokers will read her books and say, I literally had no idea why anybody liked these. And that will happen with most authors. And then maybe there'll be a kind of lively or healthy or maybe less healthy debate in the comments. But I think the problem is that because there's such a focus on personal reaction, personal likes, personal dislikes, you kind of have to shut down all debate because ultimately the only answer is, well, you don't like this thing, but I do. So get out of my face, you know, kind of 
let people enjoy things is a huge kind of mantra on the internet, which has basically, in my opinion, sort of actually deadened a kind of critical or debating mode because it's true. Like, at the end of the day, why is your opinion on this book any more valid than mine? And if you don't believe that there's any validity in other people's opinions, you wouldn't have arguments with them about it. So I actually don't think that TikTok is particularly conducive to or sorry, I don't think the book talk is particularly conducive to beefs. There may be I'm I'm sure that there are beefs, big beefs on makeup TikTok, for instance. I mean, how does it compare to something like Goodreads, which is a much more traditional people put out the books they've been reading, they star them, they give them reviews and that. Goodreads is interesting. I mean, is there crossover? There definitely is. There definitely is. And obviously a large amount of book talk is that. It's people reviewing things. So there'll be a video that says, here were my five star reads of December or here were my one star reads of January or something. And so then, yeah, it is it, it is actually very similar to Goodreads. I think a lot of TikTokers probably have a Goodreads account and use it. Um, Goodreads was famous or is still maybe famous for really having an impact on sales, like really kind of getting authors cancelled. To an extent, I think that's probably similar on TikTok, but maybe TikTok doesn't bother so much with books that are bad um, or books that it considers to be bad, if that makes sense. So there's maybe a slightly more, a slightly higher emphasis on positivity. Goodreads, I think Goodreads, maybe also because it's a slightly more anonymous app or website, you know, there's no pictures of you on it. You're not making a video. You're just writing something, presumably with a pseudonym. There's a little bit more leeway to really rip into a book and... Every book on Goodreads is going to have some half star or one star reviews that will be much liked. Whereas on on TikTok, I think it's less it's less guaranteed. Thank you, Malin. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, we'll be looking at some of the emails you've sent, responding to Malin's recent discussion with Michael Wood about the sight and sound list of the hundred best films. We've been asking people to send us emails about the podcast. So it seems only fair that we should uh, respond to some of them. We've had, we had a lot to your podcast with Michael Wood about the, the sight and sound top 10 films. Okay, so there's one from Christopher Lynch in Chicago who remembered taking a film class taught by Roger Ebert, the film critic, where they discussed the sight and sound list that had been published in the early 90s and that Yasujiro Ozo film Tokyo Story was on the list. Um, and Ebert showed showed the film. And then he, Christopher Lynch writes that several years later, he got the film on DVD and he lent it to a Japanese intern um, who watched it over the weekend. And on Monday, he asked her what she thought and she said she loved it and sobbed at the end. Kind of related to our conversation. <laughs> Tearful responses to movies. Um, maybe maybe that was the wrong response. <laughs> well, no, well, is it though? I, I mean, David Sylvester might well be wrong. I mean, maybe he shouldn't have been. So, maybe he shouldn't have been so embarrassed by his tears. Maybe you know, David Sylvester should have leaned into his weeping. But I also wonder if there's. I mean, they're clearly he's a visual art um, art historian. I do think there's a difference between the response you would have to a painting and the response you'd have to a film, and that image at the end of Tokyo Story of the waves crashing like it's very it's not static you know it's moving like it's it's literally and figuratively moving I think you know so I I, I totally understand that that woman crying <laughs> yeah no I'm, yeah I'm one of favorite weeping at movies um and then there was another another email also about that list from um Matt Langdon who talking about the recent movies being included in the way that um you know, whether there's a bias towards more more recent ones. And he pointed out that in the 1962 poll, there were five movies that had been released within the last four years. 
and it, I mean, it's quite it's quite a list of films. It's La Ventura, Hiroshima Mon Amour, Nazarene, Last Year at Marion Bad, and Pickpocket. And and actually, and Michael sent a response to that, and he he quoted Susan Sontag's article on cinephilia where she says, the 1960s and early 1970s was the feverish age of movie-going, with the full-time cinephile always hoping to find a seat as close as possible to the big screen, ideally the third-row centre. One can't live without Rossellini, declares a character in Bertolucci's Before the Revolution, and means it. For some 15 years, there were new masterpieces every month. A slight exaggeration, maybe, Michael says, but very slight. I mean, that does seem true. I mean, it is slightly amazing that, you know, putting together that list in the early 60s, that you'd have those films which as it were to to my mind are kind of great films that have always existed and realizing that actually once upon a time they were new i think also for reasons that we discuss in more depth in the podcast i've just related to the the nature of the film industry now it just may be that that isn't i mean there are probably commercial reasons why that's not really the case anymore i think um but the point which the letter writer was making, which I definitely agree with, is that the idea of newer films making the list isn't surprising. And what will be interesting is seeing next time the list is made, whether the films that came from the 2010s remain on the list. And I have a feeling that they probably will, but they'll probably end up going further down the list. And I think that's fine. Like, I think that's the nature of there's a nature of list making. There's a reason they redo it every 10 years, I think, you know, it's because people change their minds. They actually released the um, they released the individual voters' picks for the sight and sound list the other the other week. So I had a look at Michael's um, at Michael's list. Although he actually did talk about it on the podcast, he did, and he was he 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 was honest, was he? He hadn't he hadn't secretly voted for you know no. Indiana Jones or something. <laughs> no, no, uh, which would have been fine. Um, uh, <laughs> depends which one. Depends Maybe. which one. It depends which one. But my, I mean, for Michael, for instance, his list had changed actually a lot in the last ten years. He, I think, only three films were the same. Um, and it's not that I mean, clearly he'd seen all of these films before, long ago. But but he just sort of, for whatever reason, and I think there must be a really wide variety of reasons why critics change their list. You know, he just decided to change it. Uh, and there's another email. I mean, again about the, the movies from a Balestrieri in Montreal saying, in my view, throwing out Hitchcock and Orson Welles as the bestest film ever comes at an appropriate time. And comparing it to Anna Enright's recent comment on Toni Morrison, that is in a, in a piece in the LRB, that she cites Laura Miller's remark that Morrison's work upstaged the over-worshipped territory of Roth, Bellow, Updike and Mailer, and makes a comparison with Jean Dillman going to the top of the list instead of, instead of Citizen Kane or, or Vertigo. Yeah. It seems like quite a good comparison. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, you know, it's clear, again, it's clear that, like, this is going to be a matter of debate for a while. And I think a lot of people are very annoyed about the concept that it may be, that the, that the idea of the best film ever may not be set in stone, you know. And, and in fact, why is there not a sense in which we could have a different best film ever at different times, you know? Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. I think this is an interesting and actually very good comparison. Yeah. And it's also, and it is really important to have a new list and have it always be different because actually the idea that one, you know, it's like the great American novel or anything else, the idea that you can have one best film ever. Yeah, of course it is. And in fact, you know, I'm not sure if this should be the primary reason to feel this way, but I definitely personally feel this way that it helps me to discover new great films because I have not seen every film on the 100 top. Um, sight and sound list by any means. I think I haven't seen about 70 of them or something. So um, 
maybe less actually, but a li- somewhere around that number. So the more unusual the films, the more I'm learning from watching them. And I'm sure the same holds for a lot of other people. Presumably there's a film talk as well. You know, actually, not so much. It's surprising. It's it's definitely less... I mean, it must exist, but it's less big than book talk for some reason. Again, I think it may be because people who think of themselves as into film are into film in a very specific way. And people who think of themselves as into books or into reading are not into reading in the same way. Like being interested in reading or liking to read isn't to do with necessarily, or especially not on TikTok, is not to do with um, intellectual having an intellectual relationship with um, books. Whereas I think films, it still maintains that thing that if you're into film, you're into it in an intellectual way as well as in an emotional way. So the equivalent to book talk might be some like people sharing their favourite Steven Spielberg films or something or saying these were the films that made me cry the most, but it just doesn't happen. Like it's not so common. There might also be copyright reasons for that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We've also had emails asking if it's possible to listen ad-free and also for transcripts of me and Chris's recent series. That's all possible on on our website. You can listen ad-free to any episode on the LRB website and transcripts of me and Chris's recent series are available there. If you have any thoughts about this podcast or any other that you'd like to share, email us at podcasts with an S at lrb.co.uk. You can read Malin Hayes' piece on BookTok and all the other pieces we've mentioned in the LRB online archive. The LRB podcast is produced by Anthony Wilkes and Zoe Kilbourne. The music is by Kieran Brunt. I'm Thomas Jones. Thank you for listening. Listener.